0: Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry,
1: we get it and we're here for you.
0: Hi friends, welcome to episode 149 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. Today we are learning about another modality of therapy that can help our kids and our families called Dialectical Behavior Therapy, or DBT. We get a lot of questions in our Facebook group, which you are welcome to join, the Adoption Connection Facebook group. Um, We get a lot of questions about different therapies, such as CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and DBT, which I just mentioned, and whether these therapies that are based on behavior can actually work together with Connected Parenting and TBRI. Okay, lots of acronyms today if you don't know TBRI, it's Trust-Based Relational Intervention. But we are very focused on connected parenting and TBRI. And the question is, can these other therapies like CBT and DBT work with it? Or are they in complete contrast or even opposition to um, TBRI? So we're going to explore that today in this interview with Carol Lozier.
1: Yeah, Carol, I've been following Carol, I feel like forever in the adoption world. And I know, I knew that she had published some DBT workbooks for practitioners and, and actually I think they're friendly enough for parents as well. And so I reached out to her, um, kind of cause I was curious. And, um, so it's fun to be able to kind of have some of these questions answered here on the podcast. So Carol is a psychotherapist and author of four books. She is a clinical social worker in private practice in Louisville, Kentucky. She has spent over 30 years. Counseling children, teens, and adults. And she focuses on trauma, adoption, and foster care. So, you know, we really value experience here at the Adoption Connection. And so she certainly has a lot of that. And she has a lot of training in DBT. So I think you're really going to find this interview with Carol fascinating. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Hey there, thanks for having me. We're gonna jump right in because there's so much that we can talk about that I wanna make sure that we fit it all in. Will you start by just kind of giving us, like for those of us who have never heard of DBT um, or DBTC, what are they?
2: Okay, so DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. It's a particular type of therapy that was created by Dr. Marsha Linehan. And um, originally was created just for adults and for people who were chronically suicidal and also had either been diagnosed or had some criteria of borderline personality disorder. So as far as DBT is DBTC is concerned, which would be for children ages 6 to 12, you know, DBT is a behaviorally based type of therapy. Those are therapists in general and practitioners who are very precise people. A lot of them are very um, research type oriented people and practitioners. And so DBTC, just like all the rest of DBT, is based on research. So DBTC in particular was headed by a group of practitioners and researchers that took all those DBT skills for adults and created it for children. Okay,
1: perfect. So the C in DBTC just means it's been adapted for children. Correct. So what could a family maybe expect in a session? Like what does a DBT session look like? Or maybe how is it different than maybe other types of language-based or talk therapies, either just, you know, visiting with your therapist or counselor, or I know a lot of other people have also, you know, talked in groups about CBT.
2: Right. And CBT and DBT are very different. I don't have um, a ton of training in CBT, so I can't speak um, a lot about it. But I do know that DBT has components of CBT within it. DBT is more broad. CBT is more about the way people think. And DBT is about the way we think, but also actions and behavior. In a therapy session, the child would always have the parent with them, which if you know anything about the way I do therapy, I do that anyway. I think that's hugely important, especially for adopted kiddos. Um, the, the parent is in the session at all times with the child because as we're teaching these coping skills, so DBT has four different groups of coping skills. It's really cute because a lot of times when I see kids um, after they've come back from hospitalization, I'll say, all right, what did you learn? Tell me what. And, you know, their their little mantra is always coping skills. And I'm like, all right, well, so tell me about the coping skills. And that's pretty much as far as they get. They know they learned coping skills, but they can't tell me much more. Learning DBT those kids will be able to list them off, right? They know exactly what those coping skills are. They know what they mean. They know how to use them. They know when to use them. So I love DBT because it really fleshes out what coping skills are. And it teaches them to kids who did not learn them naturally on their own. Okay, perfect. So what are the four? Okay, so the four are mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness. Okay. I'm thinking check, 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 check. All the things we want our kids to have, right? (laughs) Right, right. And so one of the things that happens is children who have a lot of trauma, you know, they're doing their best to just get through life, right? Because they've got all these things pulling at them. And so what I've noticed and the reason I learned DBT was because, once we help kids heal that trauma, they sort of missed all these coping skills. So then we have to go back and teach them. So what does it look
1: like? Is it does it directly address those? Like, do you practice, like, say, mindfulness exercises with the kids? Or how do we, you know, I'm thinking a lot of parents are probably thinking, oh, like, um, what did you say, like, increased stress tolerance? Like, or window distress, tolerance. distress. Yeah, distress tolerance. tolerance like, mm-hmm. oh,
2: how do we get that in our kids? <laughs> so there's a couple different ways you can learn DBT. One is that you can start at the very beginning of the book and just work your way through. And that would just be module by module, right? Mindfulness is always first because every single skill has mindfulness in it. Um, or you can just pick out, you know, the ones that are most needed, And kind of, you know, do that approach instead, like, oh, right now that child is having a lot of meltdowns. So let's, let's teach them some distress tolerance skills, right, to help deal with those meltdowns. And then we can go back to the very beginning and work through.
1: Okay. So what's an example of teaching a stress tolerance skill to a child? What does that look like? Or what's one specific piece of that?
2: Okay. Okay. Well, the distress tolerance skill that I love the most is called tip skills. And like all of them, this one's based on research showing that this is as effective as if you were to give an individual like PRN medicine. So PRN medicine just means like extra medicine to help them calm down, which obviously if we can teach our child a coping skill rather than having to rely on extra medicine, obviously we want to do that. So TIP skills, like a lot of the DBT skills is an acronym. Um, so each letter stands for a different thing to do. So the T is tip the temperature of the body. So they're going to hold um, something cold to their face, like ice wrapped up in a towel or a paper towel, um, you know, a little ice pack, something like that to cool off the body and the face. The I stands for intense exercise. So really getting that heart rate going. So they could do 10 jumping jacks. They could do some burpees. Um, they could go outside for a minute, depending on how distressed they are. Go outside for a minute, shoot some basketball, do a short walk. And then the P is paced breathing. So think about a square, right? If you start at the top left corner and, and make your way around, The first top part of the square is you breathe in. Then you go down to the next side and pause. Across the bottom is you breathe out, kind of like when you blow out birthday candles. And then the last side is pause again, and you do it four times around.
1: I love that they're so body-based, that it's not just, you know, try harder, think differently. It, it, It starts with a cognitive piece of, here are your options, but they're all, like you said, researched based ways that we know help, you know, what I call like pattern interrupts that mm-hmm. dysregulation, they, you know, trigger the polyvagal nerve, like all those um, physiological signs and signals to our body. Exactly. To regulate.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's super cute when I have kids in my office doing their little burpees it's it's adorable. So but, you know, when you're in therapy, that's, you know, that's one of the things we want the therapist doing. Yes, we want the therapist explaining it to you. But you want to actually do the skill, right? Explaining is the first part, then actually doing it right there. So the therapist can help make little corrections. And then the last is that's your homework, that's what you're going to be working on, because it's like anything else, If you don't practice it, then you're definitely not going to be able to do it when the child is dysregulated. So practice, practice, practice.
1: Yeah. And I work a lot with families about these things that we know calm the body to like work them into a routine. So almost do them like always do 10 burpees before dinner, always do, you know, something cold on your face right before school. So it's kind of a routine. So they're there anyway, because I know that for our kids who struggle the most, We would pull these tools out, like when they were kind of already over the edge and they were like, I'm not doing that, you know, like "not doing that. So if we could make it fun and make it part of the routine, you know, makes it a little bit stronger.
2: Right, right. And it's also that body memory, right? So even if part of them is saying no, the body memory is already kicking in a little bit. So they're more likely to go along with you. And so we really want parents to to do it alongside the child. Right. So maybe they could even say something like, um, you know, hey, let's do homework together or I'm feeling a little bit frustrated. I think, you know, I'm going to go ahead and start doing my tip skill. Would you like to do it with me? And so the other thing about the tip skill is you want to do all three and keep doing all three until until, you know, the child is in a calmer state. Okay, so it's so does that order matter? So
1: you want to do temperature first. It increase your heart rate or intense activity and then
2: pace breathing, breathing
1: and mm-hmm. then just keep cycling
2: through. Right. And, you know, I mean, life gets in the way. So you might be in the car. Obviously, you can't do exercise in the car, but you could do two out of three. So I just tell families do as much as you can given where you're at. And I also let kids know, you know, sometimes they're in the classroom. Well, you know, some kids are allowed to have a water bottle. So they could put that to their face and then do their pace breathing, um, so again, it depends on where they where you are and what what you're able to do
1: so Carol, what is the youngest age that you've seen DBT start being effective?
2: I mean it's researched with six to twelve, so I think you know the behavioral people would say six to twelve. <laughs> I would say you know i've done. I'm trying to think, you know, I do teach it to parents who have younger kids, because typically, with a younger than that, it's hard to to, um, expect the kid to be able to sit and listen and practice it. But I think it's something that parents can learn and begin doing, right? It's like with a three and a four year old, you want to begin talking about feelings too. So, you know, we're not going to expect a three or four year old to be able to do the tip skill. But maybe we could do like, for example, I do like, um, so I hold up my thumb and I make a little flower and I say, you know, sniff the flower and then blow out the candles. You can begin doing little bits of it until they get older and then they're able to put it all together.
1: Yeah. So it's more like we're modeling it for them as adults for like the little itty bitties before they can really cognitively get their mind around that. Cause I'm thinking, you know, we live with our two-year-old granddaughter and we're already doing some of these things naturally, you know, you know, take a deep breath. Like if she's upset or, um, you know, a high, like if, if she's running around our house, like acting all crazy, you know, then we'll kind of, harness that and turn it into something more productive, but usually something high energy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We'll do races. Like we have this long, we have a rancher with a long hallway, right? So I'll kind of get her like corralled in the hallway and we'll start like racing up and down the hallway. So at least then she's not like running around, you know, and places that are less convenient (laughs) for the family, right? Right, exactly. Carol, I noticed you said like a lot of times we help our kids heal and then they're kind of missing this cognitive piece of knowing how to cope. Um, and I think it's interesting to really think of those as two different pieces. So how do parents look at what's going on in their family and know that DVT is a good place to start for their family? Is there something kind of first that needs to happen in terms of that healing or is, can this happen kind of parallel? Like, you know, how do we look and say, you know, our kids may be way too dysregulated all the time to even consider something like this. Is that even a thing?
2: I would say a lot of times I will teach it parallel. It depends on where the child is at and what's most pressing. Um, And if the child is that dysregulated, I think the other thing parents want to think about is the possibility of medication. I, I know being a parent and a grandparent myself, you know, I wouldn't want my own kids to have that be the first thing we go to but we have to look at each child individually and you know if they're that dysregulated that we can't help them kind of learn these DBT skills or work on their trauma through EMDR or other types of therapy then you would want to also look at medication but so once once they're not so dysregulated that like for example they're having meltdowns every day multiple times a day you know once those meltdowns are shorter less intense and less often, then yes, you can definitely teach them the DBT skills and also work on that trauma piece. Okay, perfect. So we've talked a lot about body type
1: therapies here on the podcast. So things like, um, I walk a lot of parents through the safe and sound protocol, which is a pretty low ask for kids. Well, we always talk about it as like kind of the gateway therapy. Like it's not necessarily the end all be all. So I can see like after kids, especially because SSP often increases language and comprehension, like all these other kind of foundational pieces, that something like DBTC would be a great next step to kind of teach the skills that now the foundation has been built that their nervous system can handle. Is that right. right? Yes.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in the book too, I also, the last section, you know, I talk about skills specifically for parents to use with the children. So like how to shape behavior, how to reinforce behavior, how to purposefully decrease behavior. So that's something that they would want to consider as well, knowing purposefully how to change their child's behavior.
1: Yeah. How does this, are you familiar with TBRI? Like the, Mm -hmm. okay. So talk about how this all, yeah, like how it all fits together. Cause I know a lot of times, sometimes it feels like we hear these different resources, and sometimes it feels like they compete against each other. Sometimes it feels like natural fits. Like, So talk to parents, because a lot of the parents who are listening are using TBRI principles in their house. So can you kind of illustrate for us where that fits in the puzzle
0: with the other principles? We're interrupting this episode to make sure you know about our upcoming blocked care coaching group. If you feel like you're running out of compassion and you're really discouraged, this group is for you. We are inviting you to join us for the six
1: week group starting the first week of November. Besides finding empathy from other parents in the same boat as you, you'll also learn some really cool brain science and simple practices designed to renew your hope for your family. For more information or to register, go to the adoption connection dot com slash group. Now back to this week's episode. Can you kind of illustrate for us where that fits in the puzzle with the other
2: principles? Sure. And um, it's so funny because when I think about TBRI, I went to trainings with Dr. Purvis before she even had TBRI. And I, I can remember just, you know, it's so interesting because She was such a sweet, kind person and you could really see it in the type of therapy she did and how she worked with families and kids. I think they can all work together. Like, I don't think necessarily like if a family already has training in TBRI, I don't think they need to throw their hands up and say, oh my gosh, I forget that. I, you know, I need to move on and learn this other thing. I think you want to look at your child individually and what works well and take pieces of each that work well for your child like let's say in tbri um, you know that that one of the things that's really worked well is to have them do a redo well you know that's something to take forward then let's say that was the most impactful thing so actually That's one of the things I do with people in, in DBT. Like that was a really impactful thing for me. And I think it's so important to say to kids, Hey, you know, can you try that again? Like, let's start over. Let's go back. Like if kids run in my office and they leave the parent behind, that's always a redo. Hey, let's go back and try that again. And then they come back to the office and then we go ahead and jump into the DBT. It's not like now that I'm, you know, a trained DBT therapist that I don't use any TBRI. I use all of it, whatever works best.
1: Yeah. And I can even imagine a situation, right? Like where a kid gets upset. And so they throw something across the room and you're like, Oh, like I can see you're really upset, but let's, let's try that again. And now you have DBT skills, right? So you can try again with a specific set of skills, like instead of throwing the Book across the room, you know.
2: Yeah. Let's so, grab a nice
1: pack and do some jumping jacks.
2: Absolutely. Or there's also the stop skill, which I love in DBT. So it's um, stop. Which, so knowing that, right, if they've thrown something that knows they know right away they're on that oops road that does not end well. So we want to stop, take a deep breath and think. <clears throat> the O is what are three options to solve this problem and then three outcomes? And then the P is pick the best one and proceed. So mm. it's really one of those skills that helps them be less impulsive and also problem solve. I'm thinking, Carol, I think I need to stop.
1: <laughs> right. Stop. You're, my kid just threw something across the room. Think about what's going on. What are my options? What are the outcomes? And then we'll all pick the best ones <laughs> Proceed.
2: (laughs) Seriously. Well, and that's why I said early on that DBT skills were originally created for adults because every single skill that I have in my book for kids was originally researched with and used for adults. Because so what we know is yes, parents can also use these skills. I love DBT skills, I use them all the time. I think they're amazing. And I think, oh my gosh, I wish as a middle schooler I would have had them. Like, I think they would have been so helpful. Well, and
1: I, what I love about it is in some ways, it's not anything new, right? It's not, it's a lot of this stuff is stuff that we've seen or heard in other contexts, but it gives it really clear acronyms, clear direction. And when our brains are stressed, we need a really clear, simple. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that's yeah. really, I think, again, like this, none of this is like, hugely, you know, like the stop, the idea of like, stop and don't react, but respond. But the fact that like now that word stop gives me four really simple things to do is really helpful to my brain.
2: Exactly, exactly. And one of the things I love to do with kids is write the word stop on their hand so that it's right there in front of their face and they know that's the skill they're working on.
1: Good idea, okay, so you referenced your book a couple of times. It's called the d b t Therapeutic Activity Ideas for Kids and caregivers mm-hmm. so is this really a parent facing book like this isn't this was not written to professionals for d b t Is this really something that parents can pick up and start to implement with their children
2: yes it it actually was written for both. It's definitely something that I wanted other therapists to have and the reason i wrote this book is because i was adapting these skills for the kids that i work with and all of a sudden i had this stack of handouts and worksheets and i'm like okay i'm writing a book this is going to be my next one because there's so many therapists that maybe want to learn dbt but don't have access or you know these trainings are expensive and a lot of newer therapists don't always have that extra money to be able to do, you know, like I went through an intensive DBT training. It was like 15 months long and it was expensive. And, you know, so that was another thing. Like I wanted younger therapists or therapists who want to learn DBT to be able to access it. So it's definitely something that therapists who don't understand DBT can read and learn And it's also something that parents can read and learn.
1: Yeah. And I know we have a lot of parents listening who are self help kings and queens. You know, they're the ones on the Facebook groups and on blogs and listening to podcasts. And, you know, they'll really take that to heart. For parents who love having the extra accountability or who need a third party to encourage their kids to do something new, I know we pawned that off. Like if mom suggested it, you know, Mm-hmm. Johnny was never going to do it. But right, if, exactly. you know, a doctor professional, someone who they looked up to in the community who or they felt had authority said, this is what I need you to do, there's a better chance that it might happen. Mm-hmm. So how can parents find a DBTC practitioner in their area?
2: They could go to behaviortech.org. And that's where... Um, There's a list of therapists who've had training. Um, And then I think, you know, there's also therapists that have had training that maybe wouldn't be listed on that site. And so you would just want to ask the therapist, what's their training? How many kids have, have they worked with with DBTC? And also, there's a really important piece in as a therapist in doing DBT, and that is being on a team. As long as you're practicing DBT-C or any level of DBT, it's um, part of being an adherent practitioner is that you're on a team with other DBT practitioners. So every week, I'm on a Zoom call with um, six other DBT therapists, and we all get together and talk about cases and how we can use DBT with that client.
1: So go to behaviortech.org. Mm-hmm. But also if you're already working with a therapist or a therapist in a practice, just ask, you know, if they're not listed, um, which, you know, we always want to ha- have a good list of questions when we're, you know, kind of interviewing a new mental health practitioner anyway. Mm-hmm. And then um, also know that a lot of therapists, not even just DBT practitioners, practitioners, I know are in you know, case consult type groups. And so if your practitioner doesn't have DBT skills, they may know someone in their network who does. Is that kind of summary? Definitely,
2: out? definitely. And I think at the same time, you know, there are practitioners who, who will say that they're doing DBT. And I don't think it's a purposeful misuse. I think you know, they they maybe think because I know in the beginning I did too. I thought it was a pretty simple modality, and it's really not. The more you know about DBT, the more layered you realize it is. And so they might know a couple skills and say that they're a DBT therapist. So you just want to ask a few questions about their training and um, just to know for sure, you know, whether or not they truly are a DBT practitioner. Before we wrap up. At the very beginning, you said
1: DBTC was researched for ages six to twelve, um, and then that originally DBT by itself was kind of for adults. Um, and I know that we have a lot of folks who are raising these like teens, young adults, adolescents. So where does that? How does that role fit? And what would you recommend to parents? The other thing that happens, you know, in the teenage years, right, is that Teenagers get less and less compliant, maybe for the therapy. Like when you have a five year old, like you put them in the car, you take them to OT or speech or whatever or DVT, right? And they they kind of they might throw a little fit, but like generally you, you know, kind of scoop them up and you take them to where they need to go. When we're working with like 15, 16, 17 year olds and they're starting to say, You can't tell me what to do. And 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 we really can't. We can't control our big teenagers. So Where should a parent start who might be struggling with a child who is showing um, those early symptoms of maybe borderline personality? Or maybe they have addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, in their background or something like that. What would you say to a parent?
2: Well, I would say there's also DBT for teens. And I also have another book that's um, the DBT for teen book. So this one's called DBT Therapeutic Activity Ideas for Working with Teens. Um, And this one is researched ages 13 to 18. Again, I think one of the things to consider, and I agree with you, like we can't make anybody, even the littles, right? We can't make anybody do anything. But I would say over time, like if they've gone to therapy, and they're really refusing it, then I would really question how much they're getting out of it. Because you know like any of us if you're going to therapy and you feel like you're not making progress you're not learning what you need to learn why go right i mean yes therapy is hard and i know that there's difficult things for some of our children to talk about because it's it's hard the traumas they've experienced are tough and so in that respect they may say they don't want to go just because It's emotionally difficult to do. But if they're really refusing to go, um, that would be one question I would ask myself is, is my child or my teenager getting enough out of the therapy?
1: Right. And so then maybe like what you're saying is trying maybe a different modality, maybe someone who has DBT skills, if that's not something they've tried, or maybe someone who has brain spotting or EMDR skills or kind of try not just a new practitioner, but maybe a practitioner who has a different
2: set of skills. Right. And, and I think the other thing is, you know, when when we're working with kiddos who have a lot of trauma, you want to find a practitioner who has a lot of experience. Um, truth be told, you know, therapy is an art form and it takes a good 15, 20 years to really get a good handle on it especially in working with kids who have a lot of trauma. You know, if it's if it's not if the child doesn't have as much trauma, and it's something, um, you know, not as life changing, then I don't think you need to be as vigilant in looking for a therapist who's got a lot of gray hair. Right. But if it's something like complex trauma, you want somebody who's got years of practice.
1: Yeah, I'm I used to tell people like, just look for someone who's trauma-informed, but I'm realizing that complex trauma plus the specifics of adoption, trauma, and the nuances of attachment and all of those things, like you you almost have to find the unicorn therapist who really does have experience in yeah. all of those, that that really matters to understand everything that's going on. It really does. On.
2: Well, I mean, there's so many things that come into play. Like As a therapist, you have to know how to do family therapy, individual therapy with a child. You have to have different modalities to work on the trauma and then the skill, you know, coping. I mean, there's just a lot. And, you know, that takes years of practice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Carol, do you work um, specifically just with families in your area in Kentucky or do you do consults or work with families outside of your area?
2: during COVID. So there was before COVID, (laughs) during COVID, and now after. So before COVID, I felt like there weren't many rules for us doing online therapy. And so I did have people that I would see um, out of state, and, you know, even sometimes out of country. But, and then during COVID, all of a sudden, they started saying, hey, like, You need to have your license in different places, but it was very lax because of COVID. So even still, I could see people in different states. Now it's getting a little more strict again, and they're really asking us to have a license in the state where the client lives. So it's more an um, it's not a law, but it's an ethics kind of rule. So I do have some families that I've been working with for a very long time who live maybe just across the river from me. Those families I've continued to see, even if it's sometimes on Zoom, just because I see them in person some, but on Zoom, just because, again, it wouldn't be ethical not to keep seeing them. But for a new family outside of Kentucky, I really can't work with them now just because of all the new guidelines, ethical guidelines about seeing people outside our state. All right. Perfect. Well, I'm glad we asked the question then about how
1: they can find a person in their area. Carol, I know you're a busy lady and, um, I really appreciate the experience you bring to us. Cause I know you've been doing this for a, a long, long time and for the time and effort you put into both of those books. Cause I know they're chock full of just, you know, they're kind of worth their weight in gold. Um, so I really appreciate all the work. It's not easy writing a book.
0: <laughs> um,
1: So thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise about DBT and, you know, possibly just opening up parents, opening their eyes to another, um, you know, tool in the tool belt of all the things we can have to know as parents to help our kiddos.
2: Right, right. Well, thank you so much for having
1: me. I
0: really appreciate it. Well, I appreciated this interview. I had known about dbt but i really didn't know the details and i especially did not know about dbt for children so you know it's just another um, potential helpful tool in therapy i loved um the one acronym she shared that i found most probably interesting and helpful was the one where she talked about tip tip and t was tip your body temperature so you know we talk about how um giving your child something cold to eat like a Popsicle can help with regulation. And in here, uh, Carol talked about putting something cool on their face. If you have a child who is dysregulated, that's a pretty small ask. Like you might get their cooperation. If you said, would you like a Popsicle? Or can I give you this cool cloth to put on your face? They might be willing to do that. And then I was intense exercise. Maybe you can get your child to go out and jump on the trampoline with you or Do some dancing or anything to get their heart rate up. She even talked about shooting hoops, which I don't know how much my boys heart rates get up when they're shooting hoops, but I do think that is a calming and regulating exercise. Or, I mean, if, if they're feeling like really aggressive, like sometimes
1: like leaning into that, like, like leg wrestling or arm wrestling or Mm -hmm. like something like that, that kind of has a little bit of that. I don't know. Like if your kid doesn't want to do something like with
0: you, they might want to do something against Against, you you. well yeah you know you might be able to find something fun or have a push-up contest which my boys would win by a mile or anything you know anything that's going to get there that intense exercise feeling and then last the third one was the paced breathing where she talked about breathing in the shape of a square um i think if a child's dysregulated that might be your harder one to get them to do but i can remember using the um using my hand and making like a little flower shape, kind of bringing all my fingers and my thumb together and saying, you know, smell the flower. And my little guys would breathe in to smell the flower and then blow the candle where you hold up one finger. And it's like a birthday candle. And that worked well for really little guys and could help with some regulation. So, you know, there are so many great tools out there. You may have heard something in this interview that would help you. And I, hey, add it to your toolbox. Yeah, absolutely.
1: If you are interested in connecting with Carol or finding out more information, she has a ton of great information on her website. Actually, uh, her website is Carol Lozier, L-O-Z-I-E-R, and then L C S W. So Carol Lozier, L C S W dot com. Um, she's also on Facebook and Instagram, and she has a bunch of books, like we mentioned, but we will have all of that in the show notes if you're driving or you can't write it down right now. Um, And the best place to get the show notes is go straight to com slash 149. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Instagram as The Adoption Connection, or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook.
0: Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work.
1: The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevier.